At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. You're listening to Under the Dome. I'm Don Vaughn, Capitol Bureau Chief for the News and Observer, bringing you this latest episode of our politics podcast for the week of February 19th, 2024. We are just a couple weeks out from the primary on March 5th, which is Super Tuesday, and early voting has already started. The most high-profile politician in North Carolina that went the first day of early voting was Democratic Attorney General Josh Stein, who is running for governor, and he's also the front runner. I sat down with Attorney General Stein around the holidays for an interview, if you had read that story. We've got audio from it, too, and I wanted to share with listeners some of what he said about Robinson, Mark Robinson, the Republican lieutenant governor, that's probably going to be Stein's opponent in the general, and what Stein said about his uh, long relationship with current Democratic Governor Roy Cooper and whose footsteps he wants to follow in. And then we also talked about, of course, policy. So uh, here is some of my interview with Josh Stein. How much is Governor Cooper, you're following us, you know, the same path as him. And I mean, you've worked together for in various roles for a long time. How much do you see yourself following that that same trajectory? Has he been, is it like a mentor relationship? Is it just a colleague who's, you know, further in his political career? How, what's that dynamic been like? Because you all have known each other for at least a decade. Yeah, no, two, two decades. Two decades. I, I worked with him starting in 2021, so about 23 years now. Um, I would say it's a combination of the two. He's certainly been a mentor because he was in elected office for long periods of time before I even thought about it um, because he hired me to head his consumer protection division in tw 20, 2001. Uh, and I did that for eight years. And it was in the context of that job that I ended up spending a lot of time at the legislature. We worked on legislation to go after predatory lending, to protect working families from payday lenders charging loan shark interest rates, to promoting people's personal privacy and do not call legislation to fight telemarketing. These were things that he charged me with helping to get done in the legislature, which we did. Um, and in the course of doing that, I, I saw how it worked. And I thought, you know what, that at some point, that's something I may be interested in doing. And that point came in 2008 when I ran for the state Senate. Um, so he has been uh, certainly a mentor to me along the way. Um, and he's just, he, he is a, a very good person. He, he cares about other people. His motivations are to try to help other people. And he does it in a very balanced and reasonable fashion. And I, I respect that. When you think about your, I mean, you were the only one in the race for a long time. And then, you know, Justice Morgan got in and his criticism has been that you're the heir apparent, that, you know, the the party, Morgan Jackson had decided that Cooper had decided that you were his successor. What do you think of, of that criticism and how much 
truth is in it or, or if you think there isn't? Well, I, I respect Justice Morgan. He has served the state well for decades on, on the bench here in North Carolina. I, I mean, I think the same way in 2021, it started coming crystallized to me that running for governor made sense. I think other people had the same thought. It's not a, a unique thought by any stretch. Uh, and so when at the beginning of the year, I decided, yes, I'm going to jump into this. I'm going to launch this campaign for governor. You know, it's no surprise. I think every legislator, maybe but one or two, has, has endorsed me. Um, practically the entire congressional delegation has endorsed me. Something like over 200 elected officials, current and former, have endorsed me. Uh, the leader of the state house, the leader of the state senate. And then literally tens of thousands of people have supported this campaign financially. And so it's not as though someone chose this and said, we hereby grant this or give this to Josh. It's because people see the logic of my campaign and know that I'm, I'm good at my job. I mean, I've been fighting for people as attorney general and delivering for them, and they want that kind of service in, in the governor's office. Uh, in 2025. You were also the only one running for a while. I mean, that's when you got most of those endorsements. Cooper was just the week before Morgan announced, and you knew that he might announce, I guess. So did you, um, I guess, what do you think about that? You know, and this is, comes from within the Democratic Party, too, and, and Morgan, about um, there not being as competitive primaries, where there's a larger field because the party, whether it's the grassroots party establishment, whoever decides that they want to get behind one candidate or like when Jackson stepped aside for Beasley, you know, eventually. What do you think about how that is the state of the party now? Yeah, well, I, I always fully, I, I fully anticipated having primary opposition. I never thought uh, I would get the Democratic nomination without having to campaign for it. And my plan has been to work very hard to earn every single vote that I can in the Democratic primary, win the nomination, and then work e equally hard and win every single vote I can in the general election. That's how you win elections. That's how I've had success in the past. It's, I've never lost. I don't hope to lose uh, in the coming year. Um, and so uh, if, uh, all these folks, they could have held back and said, well, Josh, you're, you're running, but I don't know who else is going to get in. I don't know. I think people were very comfortable endorsing me and, and building this campaign in, in record-setting fashion because they said, you're the one. You're the one who gives us our best chance at winning in 2024, and you're the one who can do the job and do it well. I've noticed that in your speeches, even since Morgan has been in, it's, it's looking ahead to the, to the general and Robinson. Is that pretty much your same strategy that you'll have through the primary that, you know, here's why you specifically, you know, st you feel like you stand out more than 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 Morgan, but also what you're going to do versus Mark Robinson. Are you just looking at how um, what you're expecting, you know, assuming you win in March and and taking him on head to head? Whoever wins the Democratic nomination must win the general election in 2024. If it is Mike Morgan, I will give him my full-throated support. I think it's going to be me. Mark Robinson represents a real threat to the future prosperity of this state. He is so extreme in every fashion, wanting to completely ban abortion, with no exceptions, believing that the election of 2020 was stolen. Joe Biden stole it. 
saying that he would not be surprised if 9-11 was an inside job, calling public school teachers wicked people, uh, denying that the climate crisis is real, calling it a hoax, even questioning the Holocaust, calling it hogwash. I mean, these views are so beyond the pale. I mean, you have the Republican Party and he's to the end, maybe beyond the end of the right of the Republican Party. We have got to win this race to keep North Carolina moving forward in, in the sensible way the state has been governed traditionally. And it's very important that we have a counterbalance to the Republican General Assembly. Mark Robinson would provide no restraint on them. In fact, he would be an accelerant on their extreme tendencies. It is urgent that we elect a Democrat to the governorship. I believe I'm the best candidate. I'm, Mike Morgan clearly believes he is, and I will certainly trust whatever the voters decide. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. You're listening to Under the Dome. I'm Don Bond, Capitol Bureau Chief here at the News and Observer. And before the break, you heard some of my conversation with Democratic Attorney General Josh Stein, who is the front runner in the Democratic primary for governor. Here's more of what we talked about on some issues that would be of a special interest to state employees. I asked Stein about the state employee vacancy rate. I also asked him about the more than half a century old law that bans uh, collective bargaining for public sector employees. I also asked him about Republican Senate leader Phil Berger, what he thinks of him and how that would be if Stein moves on to the general and would win and would be dealing with Berger and the legislature during his time as governor if if he gets that far. So here's more of our conversation. And I want to share that I also recently sat down with State Treasurer Dale Falwell, who's running in the Republican primary for governor. And I'll have some of his interview on future podcasts as we get, you know, just several days, less than three weeks or about, yeah, three weeks away from uh, the primary, Super Tuesday, and way, way more attention on North Carolina and the governor's race during the general. So here's some more of my conversation with Josh Stein who again, of course, as most of our listeners, I would think now is running for governor. So let's talk about the Republican legislative leaders that you would need to work with, right, on those economic development projects. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you think of Senate Leader Berger? I've known Senator Berger for many, many years, a couple of decades at this point. I mean, obviously we have very different philosophical perspectives, uh, but I've always found him to be straight when he says yes, it means yes. If he says no, it means no. doesn't mean you can't keep coming back and trying to persuade him, but I, I found him to be a straight person to deal with. Um, we've gotten good things through. My office has gotten good things through the General Assembly, even in the last seven years with Republican leadership. We've been fighting the opioid crisis the whole time I've been there and getting bills through some of them, many of them unanimously, uh, we've been tackling the, the fentanyl crisis that's devastating communities now in North Carolina. We got the money to end the backlog of 
rape kits in the state that was larger than any other state in the country. Uh, we've modernized our laws to protect kids from child sex abuse. And we've strengthened our public safety laws. And so there's a lot of focus on division and where we differ. And a lot of things we differ on are very important. I certainly don't want to minimize those. But there are other things that we actually can work together on. And they don't quite get as much attention because uh, conflict is always more interesting to cover than cooperation. Uh, so I will engage with Senator Berger about what are his priorities. I will share with him what my priorities are. And we'll see where there's overlap and where we can work together. I will work with him. It seems like the um, the ways that the state will recruit. One time, I may have been on the Commerce website. I can't remember. It's talked about how North Carolina is the second lowest unionization rate in the state. South Carolina is the lowest, and you've gotten endorsements from different labor groups, and the the ban on um, collective bargaining from um, public sector employees has been in place, I think, since the fifties. Democrats every now and then call to overturn it. Do you think it should be overturned? I, I think, I believe that we are best when working folks have an opportunity to band together to negotiate with, with management. They, that's when we have the greatest balance and parity. And so, yes, I support that. Um, the key is what's realistic in, in today's uh, legislature I don't think the Republicans are going to do that. So we've got to find ways to support working families. We're going to keep pushing that. We're going to keep trying to modernize our laws to get us in conformity with the vast majority of states in this country. Um, but we have to figure out, well, if, if we're not going to get that, then what can we do to help working folks? We need to raise the minimum wage. We need to focus on supporting good paying jobs, bringing industries into this state, whether it is a Wolfspeed, whether it is a Toyota, whether it's any other battery manufacturer, that those folks have a chance to earn enough money where they can provide their families. And many of those jobs, you shouldn't have to go to college to get those kind of jobs. And we can build that kind of future here in North Carolina. The governor's in charge, as you know, of all like cabinet employees. So it's not all state employees, but tens of thousands of state employees. Something shifted with paid parental leave during this, you know, last round. Is are there changes you would make, or, or things that you want to listen for from those state employees that would be under um, under you if, if you become governor that that you would want to do to, I mean, as far as you know, benefits, anything else? Yeah, the changes that you just described as it relates to family paid family leave and we have non discrimination against. <coughs> LGBTQ folks, those are things that my office did ourselves uh, because my office is independent. I'm an independent counsel, uh, um, constitutional officer separate from the governor. So whatever he did for his state agencies didn't apply to us unless I affirmatively made those decisions myself. And I agreed with all of those. And I will certainly continue them as governor. <clears throat> what is clear to me is that this state has to do a better job by its state employees. They're woefully underfunded. I see it in my office when we look, we do market analysis of what does this position earn in the private sector? And you never, it's not, you never want it to be the exact same, but you can't have a two to one disparity because then you can't fill spots. And there are vacancies throughout state government in critical jobs, like in our prisons, 
because we're not paying folks enough money. So we have got to do right by state employees, raise pay, certainly need to do that to teachers. And that was Democratic Attorney General Josh Stein talking to me after candidate filing before the holidays about this primary season. Here we are just a few weeks out from the election. So my pick for headliner of the week is early voting. And after months and months and months of talking about the primary, we are actually almost here. And then the, the big ticket event, the general, coming later in the year. For the News and Observer, I'm Don Bond. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. For more from our politics team, subscribe to the News and Observer at newsobserver.com slash subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at Under the Dome and sign up for our weekly political newsletter, also called Under the Dome, at newsobserver.com slash newsletters. Thanks for listening.